Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Hey everyone, let's talk about siblings for a minute. Uh, No one's able to humble you quite like a sibling, right? Uh, Siblings can say things to each other that even spouses can't get away with. Uh, It's like, it's like it's just an expectation of life. Siblings would die for each other and they would defend one another to the end if anyone said anything bad about the other one, but they're going to say worse things to each other and about each other. Um, My little sister and me, man, we were brutal to one another growing up. We loved each other, but we were brutal. And I've said this before, but I, we had this thing where we would, we'd, I'd say something like, man, I can't stand you. And Kedra would say, no one likes you. And, and I'd say, man, mom and dad don't even like you. And then she'd end it with, God doesn't like you. <laughs> I know, it's awful. Don't ever say those kinds of things. We could be awful to each other and we'd say the nastiest things to one another. But if somebody said uh, something bad about her to my face, and they were, gonna, they were not going to hear the end of it from me. Uh, nobody talks about my sister's bad except, except for me. You know? If you have a sibling, you probably get everything that I'm talking about right now. It makes sense. Uh, but one thing that will almost never, it, very rarely at least, happens is siblings serving each other. It just doesn't happen. Uh, When one sibling makes it big, it's really rare that the less known sibling just bows down and loves everything about it. Uh, The big time sibling walks into a room and everyone's like, man, you're great. And the lesser known sibling's like, dude, you smell, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Serving your sibling, it's it's almost foreign to us. Um, There's one rare exception that I found uh, it's kind of interesting. Tom Brady's wife, Giselle Bunchen, uh, she's a supermodel, but her sister also, she started off as a model, but then she began to work as Giselle's manager. She was her sister's manager. That's pretty cool to me. Um, but most of the time, it doesn't work out that way. So case in point, have you ever heard of a guy named Edwin Booth? Probably not. Uh, but if you were living in the 1860s, there's a good chance that you would have heard of him. Uh, he was kind of like today's Brad Pitt. Uh, he was the star of play acting. He had a brother that didn't like him very much. Didn't like that he was famous. Um, and if you, if you want to take a guess, you prob- some of you probably have already guessed what the name was. John Wilkes Booth. He hated his brother's popularity so much that he actually went off the deep end. He ended up getting in a conspiracy situation and he ends up shooting President Lincoln. Now you know his name, but you know his name for all the wrong reasons. And then there's the Kellogg brothers. Uh, The older brother was named John. He was a doctor. He was nominated for a Nobel Prize, had it together. But his younger brother, Will, dude was an innovator. And he started the Kellogg Cereal Company. And John didn't like that he was making tons of money. They didn't get along. John John wanted a piece of what Will Will had made popular. And so there were some lawsuits. And honestly, the relationship, it was just kind of forever, it was a broken relationship. When you think about siblings, you think about kind of real but healthy rivalries. You think about arguing over little things. You think about the most honest love that there is in the world. But you don't think about one serving the other. I literally can't get one of my daughters to pick up another one of my daughter's plates from the kitchen table. Uh, it's, it's like they'll help anybody else but their sisters. 
Okay, so why do I say all this about siblings? Today we're gonna be starting a new series, and the series that we're, that we're gonna be going into, it's coming directly out of the first chapter of the New Testament book of James. And James, as you might know it, he is an actual brother of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, he's kind of a big deal. Uh, to, to be more accurate about it, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus, but he's a brother nonetheless. Today what we're gonna do is we're gonna read one verse from that chapter. James 1 verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now your first, your first thought might be, hey Kellen, how are you going to do a whole sermon off of that verse? My response to you is, easy. I'll just make things up if I have to. Now honestly, like my reaction is a little bit like you. When I looked at this verse, I was like, how, how am I doing a sermon on this? But seriously, there's some really interesting things that come out of just this one verse introduction to this amazing letter. Uh, this letter is one of the, the must-have letters from Scripture when it comes to the question, how am I supposed to live as a follower of Jesus? I want you to catch what James called himself in this introduction. Here it is again. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does that sound like a brotherly thing to say? Nah, it just doesn't. A brotherly, a brotherly thing to say would actually be James, a servant of God, and I kind of like that other dude named Jesus, but just barely. Now, James is calling himself a servant of Jesus. He's referring to him as Lord. And it's kind of crazy to think of a human brother saying that about his own brother. Uh, there's actually a hilarious comedian named Michael Jr. Um, he's, a, he's a real clean comedian, a Christian comedian actually, who he's got this hilarious bit about James in one of his comedy routines. And he says, he, he kind of says to the, essentially, uh, man, it had to be a ton of pressure on James. Everybody's always asking him, why can't you be more like Jesus, James? <laughs> and he, he goes on, he's like, the thing of it is, he's only James. He's not James Christ. He's just James. Now, I absolutely love that guy. He's a hilarious comedian. When this service is over, go to YouTube, click on his stuff. Name's Michael Jr. Truth is, we all need to laugh sometimes. Um, but the fact that James would call his brother Lord and call himself his brother's servant, it's even more eye-popping when we look at James the earlier feelings that he had about Jesus. When Jesus was walking around, starting his ministry, um, very early on, when Jesus was just gathering his main 12 disciples, they were going around, they were casting out demons. And Jesus' own family, likely including James, they were, they were indignant about the things that Jesus was doing. Mark 3.21 says, When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And in John, I think there's an even almost a harsher statement made about Jesus' brothers. John 7, 5 says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And that puts my squabbles with my sisters to shame. James didn't even believe in his own brother Jesus. James thought that Jesus had gone to crazy land. And somewhere, you know, maybe 25 years after Jesus' crucifixion, James is writing this letter, and he's calling himself a servant of Jesus. But actually, it didn't even take that long for James to, to start to see something different was happening with Jesus. Now, can I ask you this question? How long would it take for you to believe that your sibling was a divine being? That's a crazy thought, right? I, 
I'm just going to say this. I probably would never think that one of my sisters was a divine being, even if I saw them raising people from the dead. It's just not happening. But long after Jesus' time on earth, we actually see that James had completely changed his tune on what he thought about his brother. Let me say this. If you need more proof to believe that Jesus is God's son, take a look at James. This reversal in James's understanding, but actually even more, the reversal in his allegiance to Jesus, it's an amazing proof about who Jesus actually is. James became an early and very prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. Uh, actually, in the book of Acts, Peter, uh, he, he makes a point to tell James about a miracle that had happened to him. Uh, he was released from prison miraculously, and he makes sure to make sure that people are telling James what happened. Acts 12, 17 says, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. He wanted to make sure that James knew what was going on. Then in Acts 15, James presided over the Council of Jerusalem, which agreed to let Gentiles into the church. And I really love this because it's not only that he was changing his views on Jesus was, he was actually willing to let Jesus' teaching and his life change who he was. Uh, as Jesus had welcomed Gentiles, James was willing to let go of his Jewish ideologies and he also welcomed Gentiles. Uh, James is a totally new man, and it's because of Jesus. Uh, the brother of Jesus, who had once opposed him, was now referring to himself not as Jesus' brother, but as his servant. And the whole reason that he sits down to pen this letter is because he's 100% committed to the cause of Jesus. He's fully committed to helping other people live vibrant Christian lives in honor of Jesus. Now, let's face it, if you want to know how the how-to of living as a follower of Jesus. I don't think there's a better book to study in all of scripture than this letter written by Jesus' own brother. And, and so who is it that James is writing to and why is he writing to them? And we see this in the, in the very first verse that we just read earlier at the beginning of this, this message. He said, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Okay, so what's the meaning of that? Well, the Jewish people had, they consisted of 12 tribes. And James was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And in chapter 2, he actually describes their meeting places as a synagogue. And so by all accounts, it seems as though James is writing to Jewish believers. But he's writing to Jewish believers who had been displaced. And why had they been displaced away from Jerusalem? Well, it probably happened following the martyrdom of, of Stephen, which is recorded in the book of Acts. And these believers, they had to flee for their own lives as they're seeing Stephen be stoned to death. So James is writing to them with a pastor's heart. He knows them well. He understands their circumstances. He knows their characteristics. And I think he feels some amount of responsibility for these people because at one time they had been in his spiritual care. And so his desire is for them to be able to make the needed changes in their lives and in their relationships with other believers. So this book is simply this. It is a how-to of Christian discipleship for believers. You ever get frustrated because you feel like the church uh, does a good job of telling you what you should do, but they don't kind of further explain the how-to of Christian life? See, the tough thing is, as a pastor, a, a lot of what I feel needs to happen in our lives is for our thinking to be changed. If you could know Jesus a little bit more accurately, if you could then think like Jesus a little bit more, you're going to start to act, act more like Jesus. 
But the how-tos of that can still be really tough sometimes. And so when we say, man, trust Jesus with your struggles, sometimes we want, we want to scream out, but how? <laughs> like, give me something more. When we tell people to, to live lives of purity, stay sexually pure, and sometimes people are out there being like, but how do I do that? It's so difficult. And we tell people, live wisely. Seriously, how? And that's what James likes to answer those kinds of questions. His letter is a manual for how-tos, the how-tos of living for Jesus. He talks about how to profit from your trials, not just getting through trials to be strong in trials, but how you actually profit from your trials, how to obtain wisdom, how to communicate. Uh, there's so much in this book. And I actually think that James gives us his first how-to right here in the intro to this letter. And here it is, here's what he's saying. If you wanna have a voice that matters, lay down whatever pride you have and forget all that you feel are your rights and become a servant solely for the sake of Jesus. If you wanna have a voice that matters, lay down your pride, forget all about your rights, become a servant to Jesus alone. You see, James was Jesus' brother. He could have claimed to this group of believers that that's what his identity was. He could have been like, you guys, <laughs> I'm family with JC, but he didn't stick to that, that identity. I mean, how often do you name drop in a way that kind of gives you some kind of identity with other people's, people where they're gonna see you as more than, than they maybe would have otherwise? How often do you have to tell people the things that you've done in the past or the jobs that you've had so that you make sure that they know that you know what's up. Now, I never claim to be the nicest person in the world, but if anybody thinks that I'm like super mean, I'm just like, you know what? I married the nicest person that either you or I know. How can I really be that bad? And James could have kind of done that. He, he could have claimed, hey everybody, I'm Jesus' brother. Listen to me. But he didn't, he didn't claim that identity for himself. He became a servant. You and I both know that claiming himself as Jesus' brother would have probably given him a lot of credit, probably would have made people listen, but he chose to call himself a servant to Jesus. James was so transformed by the divine nature of Jesus that serving him rather than using him as a prop for his own identity, serving him became the most important thing to him. Uh, ask yourself if you're guilty sometimes of using the name of Jesus to serve yourself. How might we do that sometimes? I, I think that we do it a lot with God. We, we, we live selfishly. Uh, we do things that go completely against the nature of Jesus, but then we feel like we can pull out this, this I'm saved by Jesus card and we show it to God and we're all okay. And here's the truth behind that. I think God honors that card. We are free to mess up. We're forgiven in, in light of the obscene, selfish behaviors that we, that we live with. But that's not living as a servant of Jesus. James could have chosen to be identified in this writing as Jesus's brother. And you and I can choose to be identified as God's child. But can I say this? I think it takes an extra sense of self-denial to identify ourselves as servants of Jesus. To James, Jesus, Jesus was so deserving of honor that he was willing to drop his family relationship in order to lift up the name of Jesus alone. He's willing to set himself aside in order to bring honor to Jesus. James isn't willing to play the I'm close with Jesus card 
to excuse a certain kind of lifestyle. He won't let the fact that he's family with Jesus give him kind of a shortcut in going after the how-tos of living as a servant of Jesus. See, sometimes we like to identify Jesus as our best friend. And don't get me wrong, he is. I may not be his best friend, but he's my best friend. <laughs> to say Jesus is our best friend, it's true, but he's also our king and our master. He's owed total allegiance from us. If you want to know the how-to of making a difference for Jesus, it means propping him up at the expense of your own recognition, at the expense of your own identity. Calling yourself a servant of anyone is a denial of your own identity. It's putting the needs and wants and desires of the one that you're serving ahead of your own. Being a servant of Jesus doesn't mean that we cling to some right that we think we have that gives us a free pass to mess up however we want to and then everything's just going to be okay. That's not being a servant. That might be trusting Jesus as your Savior. That's not being a servant. I want us to want more than just being able to, to use this Jesus card as a free pass to heaven. I think Jesus deserves more than that. He deserves more from us. And that's what James gets at in this letter. I want you to hear how Jesus himself talks about servanthood uh, when he's talking to his own disciples. In Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, it says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must also be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus was a servant. I think that's why James can see that he can be a servant to Jesus. For the church to be heard today, we can't just be Jesus' buddies or groupies. We need to be like James. We need to see ourselves as servants of Jesus. And this goes completely against our culture. Our culture is all about selling yourself to the world. It's about making your own name shine. But you know what? We are called to be countercultural in, in matters like this. It's all over the New Testament. It's to be countercultural. Now listen to Galatians 5, 24 through 25. It says, Those who belong to Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And that's so against our nature. When, when you make the name of Jesus shine rather than your own name, that's when the kingdom of heaven grows. It might just need to be at the expense of your own kingdom, though. Yeah. And that's what I love about James. James gives up his rights to his own kingdom. He becomes a servant to his brother's kingdom. To me, that's powerful. To me, that's the only way that this world will come to know Jesus one person at a time. When the world sees you, are they able to see Jesus instead of you? That's only going to happen when you and I give up our rights as children of God in order to be servants of Jesus. What would this look like in your life on a daily basis? What would it look like for your, na for your name to take a back seat so that the name of Jesus can shine at the forefront of everything that you are? Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful that we get to be servants of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. God, there's times where I think we do use our relationship with you as this get out of free jail card. I'm close to Jesus, but 
God, I pray that we would, that we would choose to actually become servants of you. To put ourselves and our, and, and our, our passions and our desires on the line at, for, for your sake to further your kingdom. God, this is, this is a tough ask. This is a tall order for us. We need your help. To be true servants of Jesus, we need your help because it means going against what's in our nature. It means going against what our culture does. We wanna put ourselves off to the side, Lord. We wanna make your name great rather than our own. Help us to do that today in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.